We'll open your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 43. Isaiah, chapter number 43. I'll tell you what, let's do something different. Let's move those, both those things down there. And uh, for those that are guests uh, uh, <laughs> wondering, uh, I'm wearing Chuck Taylor tennis shoes, not as a fashion statement, uh, but... Uh, for another reason that I'll not go into, but uh, man's got to do what a man's got to do. And so Isaiah chapter number 43 is where we're going to be here in just a little bit. Last week, I think I stood up all through the message, and then all week long I paid for it. And so uh, the Bible says Jesus sat down and taught them. Well, I, I'm not Jesus, but uh, I, I got the same word that uh, that he had. Amen. It's his word. So, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, so many people going through so many difficult things and, uh, and really, we don't know the half of it probably because like Kenneth was praying, there are a lot of unspoken prayer requests, a lot of things that people are going through that uh, they haven't shared with anyone else. And you know, afflictions have a way of really, uh, well, we don't always understand what's going on, do we, for one thing. They have a way of... of uh, Messing with our mind, maybe that's the best way to put it, because we begin to doubt things that ordinarily we would never doubt. We begin to have fears and insecurity and, uh, you know, all, all of those things that are out of the ordinary for us, because maybe, you know, we think we're doing quite well in our Christian life and that we've got our act together and then all of a sudden our emotions get involved in the doctor's diagnosis or what other calamity that we might be going through. And whenever we think about those times of adversity, there is uh, one word that comes to my mind that, I, that I, I think describes what we need, and that is assurance. Assurance. And you, you know, in Romans 15 and verse number 4, it says those things that were written aforetime, referring back specifically to the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. In other words, as we look at God's Word, it is designed to give us hope. And so this morning, I want to show you an example of what, of what I'm trying to say here in Isaiah chapter number 43. And I want to speak to you today about assurance for the afflicted. And sooner or later, that's all of us, right? Isaiah 43 and verse 1 says, But now saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, 
and neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, and therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. Whenever we look at these verses, in fact, all through this chapter especially, there are three things that have to do with us receiving assurance in our afflictions that we need to take notice of. First of all is that God's people are subjected to grievous trials. Regardless of who you are, it's going to happen sooner or later. Secondly, we learn that we are supported by a gracious God. And thirdly, we learn from this that we are sure of a glorious end. I said just a few moments ago that it's important that we become familiar with the Old Testament because it tells us so much about not just God's relationship with Israel, but our relationship with God. That's what it was designed to do. In other words, the Lord, in order to really explain to us what His relationship with us is like, took a nation, not a people that was more deserving, not a people that that were more powerful or anything else, but He chose a nation, perhaps you might say the weakest, most insignificant of all of the peoples of the earth, And he chose that one nation, Israel, to raise them up from among the other nations. And he said, I set them as a queen. In other words, I adorned her as only a king could. And I set her to be a light for the Gentiles. That is for all of the other nations because I wanted them to see what a great God I was. So whenever we look at God's relationship with Israel, we learn a great deal about our relationship with God. Back in 1862, a preacher by the name of William Nicholson made a statement about Israel that was so very important that I jotted it down and I keep it in my notes because it it speaks not just so highly of God, but it tells us how this relates to us. He said, and I quote, the history of God's people in every age is most interesting and instructive. In that history, we especially see the manifestations of divine love to them. His providence has ever guarded and sustained them. His bounty has ever supplied all of their needs. His grace has been sufficient to save them from the effects and power of sin. His mercy has been imparted to forgive their transgressions. His consolations has ever abounded to comfort them in all of their tribulation. However dark and perilous the condition of His people, God has ever been present to supply all of their needs, to sustain them, and to deliver them from every danger. The compassion of God was very conspicuous in His dealings with the Israelites. 
Their, their uh, perversity is described in the preceding chapter, and this chapter opens with promises of God's immutable love. You know, since we attribute most of our, of our misery to troubles, you know, we don't speak about being miserable when everything's going good, do we? We're miserable because of the troubles, the trials, the the tribulations that we encounter. And because of that, we need to listen carefully to that. Nicholson said in that statement there that the perversities of Israel were recorded in the previous chapter. I want you to look at just the last part of chapter number 42 to see exactly what he meant. Verse 22 And the Lord says, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. Now remember, he's talking about the same people. He's talking about his people, Israel. And and notice he says, and are all of them snared in holes and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore. Who among you? will give ear to this, who will hearken and hear for the time to come, who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers. Did not the Lord, he against whom, now notice, against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law, and therefore He hath poured upon him the fury of his anger. Now, I hope you get the picture because we're talking here about the afflictions upon the nation of Israel. But what we need to understand is is that God did not just arbitrarily decide that he was going to make life difficult for them. This is something they brought upon themselves. And so we see the picture of a stubborn, rebellious people in chapter number 42, a people that has so offended God that His anger is raised against them. Did you notice the description? He said they are like an imprisoned people. They are a suffering people. And no doubt that would have caused some of them to wonder, where is our God? Look at the situation that we're in. And by the way, for those of you familiar with the Old Testament and the history of Israel, you'll know that even some of the neighboring nations began to mock the Israelites by saying, Where is thy God? Where is this great God Jehovah that you keep talking about? Where is he now? So these people were exceedingly discouraged and we come to chapter number 43 and lo and behold instead of a instead of a scathing rebuke further from the Lord all of a sudden we see the Lord speaking words of assurance to them Now notice first of all that they are subjected to grief and as I said that's something experienced by all of us, and not only experience, but something that we all need. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6 tells us that God chasteneth every son that he receives. Now, if every child of God is chastened, and that word speaks about being corrected, 
God corrects all of His children. That tells us that all of His children are imperfect, right? Because God would never spank you without a reason for it. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't just go around spanking your kids because, you know, it's that time of the day. I mean, you shouldn't. They, now, they might think you're doing that. I remember Dr. Bill Rice many years ago said, I'll give you a good rule of thumb. You can spank your children safely at least one time a week, and if you don't know what it's for, they will. Well, you know, (laughs) that's sort of a cute little saying, but it's not really fair to the kid, I don't guess, because if there's no evidence of wrongdoing, there's no reason for for the chastisement. But when it comes to God dealing with us, there's always a reason for it. That's the point I'm trying to make. There's so many times that we get all bent out of shape when we're going through troubles and trials because in some way in our mind, you know, we, we've, we've convinced ourselves we deserve better than what we have. And God's just letting us know that we're not as perfect as we think we are. So these trials, these afflictions come upon all of God's children and they do so for a reason and they are by divine appointment. In other words, they're not accidents. Somebody says, you know, well, this happened to me or that happened to me and it was, it, it was just one of those things that's common to man, you know. We all get the flu sooner or later, and so, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to attribute that to God. Well, why not? I mean, if God's in control of everything, amen, I mean, isn't that what your Bible teaches? If He's in control of everything, then He either causes it or He allows it. And God is in control of absolutely everything, so there's no accident with God. All of these are by divine appointment. Not only that, but divinely designed. Let me explain what I mean by that, and at least in three different areas. They are divinely designed when it comes to the number of trials that we go through. Did you notice whenever he's speaking to the Israelites here, notice he says waters and rivers. That's in the plural. In other words, you can expect more than one such experience. He's speaking of a plurality of hardships, a plurality of difficulties, and that's the way it is with us. And by the way, it's God who numbers those. They'll never exceed what is needed and never be less than what is demanded. So he's in control of the number. He's in control of the nature. You'll notice he spoke about the fire and the water. In other words, here's two different extremes, and God uses those two examples to show us that there is, there's a difference in the nature of the trials that we go through. God controls the depth of the water. God controls the degrees of the fire. But He is in control of both and uses them for a specific purpose, and that is in regards to whatever is needed at the time. So we can not just assume but be assured 
that whatever it is that we're going through that is by divine appointment and divinely designed, that whether we understand it or not, whether it makes sense or not, that God has some specific plan and purpose in mind when he allows that to happen. Now, if you, listen, if you, if you don't get the assurance of this, you're going to be frustrated by your problems throughout your life. You're never going to be content. You're never going to find happiness until you understand that this great God that we keep talking about who created the heavens and the earth, this great God that sent His Son, this great God that raised Him up from the, from the grave, this great God who's coming back again, this great God is, is covering the most minute details of our life. You know, we don't, we don't mind attributing that knowledge to God when it comes to the provision of our needs. We talk about him numbering the very hairs on our heads, seeing the little sparrow fall, that God is involved in all of this. But something in us just doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that God is in some way involved in all of what we call the bad stuff in life. That doesn't mean God's the author of sin. I've had people ask, why did God allow sin to come into the world? Well, he's got reasons that I don't understand, but I do know one thing. He had every right to do that, and he did not force us to sin. He's in no wise responsible for our sin. He permitted it, and I think for one thing, he permitted it because we had never understand anything about his love, mercy, and grace had it not been for the fact that he allowed us to sin. He allowed us. He didn't approve of it. He allowed it. So when God allows these hardships into the lives of his own dear children for whom Jesus died, that doesn't mean he thinks any less of us. It means because he cares about us. And he's doing a work in our life that we can't comprehend. But we can rest assured based on this here that God's people, regardless of who they are, are going to experience hard trials. Secondly, we see that they are supported by the grace of God. Now, when you read through these verses, you will not find the word grace, but you'll see it. You'll see it. Grace is God's unmerited favor. In other words, grace is God giving you what you need instead of what you deserve. In chapter 42, we just read about these same people, how stubborn and rebellious they were against God, these people that resisted God on every hand, that refused to walk in His ways. And in spite of all of that, and even though God allowed them to be afflicted, there were none of them crying out for restoration, none of them crying out to God for deliverance. They were miserable and just stayed there in their misery, refusing to turn to God. So it was God who took the initiative to help them. It wasn't them coming to God and pleading, Oh, dear God, we're in a bad situation. Would you help us? I mean, they are, they're so stubborn, they're even beyond that. They're not crying out to God at all. They're just, they're just moaning and complaining about their problems. That's all they're doing. And God sees them in their time of need and God 
extended grace to them. And he gives them these promises. Though the waters come, he said, I'm not going to allow you to drown even if the fire comes. I'm not going to let you burn. And notice he did several things here to show his grace. First of all, verse number 2 shows the promise of his presence. He promised that I'm going to be there with you. That Listen, that wasn't a new promise because you go all the way back to Exodus chapter number 33 and you'll find way back there that even in their wandering in the wilderness that God had assured them that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, and he proved it because he gave them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, whether it was day or night, God gave them a visible reminder of the fact that I am with you 24 hours a day. And that's what he's doing here, assuring them that I'll be with you. That ought to make all of the difference in the world to us. We go all the way to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, where it speaks about the fact that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have the assurance in, in both the Old and the New Testament that we can depend upon the presence of God. And knowing that God is with us should make all of the difference in the world. I remember whenever I was a boy in grade school, and I, I've often referred to the fact that I've uh, known Bev since she was, uh, in, I believe, in the third grade, or I was in third grade somewhere about then. But uh, that was a pleasant memory, but I've got, I've got a, a memory that's not too pleasant. And that, you know, back in those days, kids had a way of establishing a pecking order. Some, something like chickens, you know, if you've ever been around chickens a lot, they do the same thing. And uh, so every day we had a schoolyard fight. You know, today they got the cops out there. And, you know, the kids would sort all of that out if the, if the adults would stay out of it. And so we had a pecking order. And, boy, when a new kid showed up at school, he's, he's going to be in the fight before the day was over because somebody's going to put him to the test. So I remember whenever I was in the third grade, I'm going to say third because it sounds better. It might have been I was in the fourth grade, and I don't want to admit it. And so this kid came to school, and I worked him over. Well, what I didn't know was he had a sister in the sixth grade, and she was a big, healthy, hefty girl. Yeah, you know what happened. We had a clinker pile out there in the back of the school. That's where they take all of the clinkers out of the old furnace there. And I'll tell you what, I'm, she worked me over out there good. And I'm saying all of that to say this. You better believe when I saw him after that, if I saw his big sister, I didn't mess with that kid. I just stayed away. Uh, let, let me tell you something. I want you to know you've got something better than a big sister or a big brother. You've got a mighty God that's with you every moment of every day. And absolutely nothing can happen to the child of God in the will of God unless God allows it. Nothing. So we see God assuring them of His presence. And not only that, we see that His presence among them 
prevented things that ordinarily would be impossible or unbearable. He's talking about fire. Fire can burn you up. Water can drown you. Water can sweep away everything you've got. And he says, whenever the floods come, you don't need to worry. You're not going to drown. When the fires come, it's not going to burn you. You don't have anything to worry about. What God is telling them in the most impossible situation that you can imagine, you need not worry because I am going to be there to protect you and to provide for you regardless of what's going on. You know, we hear, we hear a lot of criticism. I know preachers that criticize praise courses just because they're praise courses. Let me just say publicly, that's the most stupid, ridiculous thing I know of any preacher get up and criticize just because it's a praise course and give a blanket condemnation of praise courses. How foolish that is. You know, every song, whether it's out of the hymn book or a praise course, ought to stand on it by the virtue of its own two legs on the message. Do you ever listen to the the message of the songs. Now, I'm saying this for a reason. I want you to get the message. Sometimes we sing that song in the presence of Jehovah or we hear someone sing it. I want you to think about the words to this. Through His love, the Lord provided a place for us to rest, a place to find the answers in all of the hours of distress. Now there is never any reason for you to give up in despair. Just slip away and breathe His name. He will surely meet you there. That ought to minister to every child of God in reminding us in the presence of Jehovah we are safe. And wherever you are, He is. Wherever you are, He is. He's there already. I mean, he knew you were going to be there, and he got there ahead of you. And this is what God is doing. He is assuring them that I'm going to be with you, that you're going to be subjected to grief, but you're going to be supported by grace. And then God does something that's really amazing. And, well, all of this is amazing. But whenever you read on through the chapter here and you you begin to examine what God says he's going to do. He said in verse number 7, I have created him for my glory. He's speaking, of course, about Jacob and about Israel and the nation, that it exists for his glory. Now remember, these people are in prison. These people are beaten down. These people have been punished beyond anything that you and I have ever experienced. They're in a situation that they cannot get uh, out of. It seems impossible. The heat of the fire is so intense that it seems like they'll perish. The floodwaters are so high, it appears they're going to lose everything they've got. And instead of that, God ends up here by showing them that it's all going to end in glory. He said, I'm going to gather your people out from all of the tribes of the earth. He said, I'm going to do a new thing on the earth. 
I'm going to give you a new song. Now, those of you familiar with Israel, you realize that after all of those many, many long years of them being without a king, without a land, and seemingly without any hope, that that little handful of people clung to the promises of God in some way or another. God raised them up again. It was 1946 or 48, May the 14th, I think it was, and they were again established as a nation. What a miracle that was. Let me tell you, God's not through with them. God's not through with Israel. And one of these days, and he pictures all of this here. In fact, you look back earlier and you'll see that he reminded them that he was going to send a deliverer. He calls him my servant, speaking about Jesus. And he's going to deliver you from all of this hard bondage. You see, God wanted them to know regardless of how difficult it is, regardless of how impossible it seems, it's all going to end well. And that's why I keep on saying for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. It's going to end well. It, it's bad now. It hurts now. You weep now, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. And what a glorious time that's going to be to know that regardless of how bad it is, it's going to be all right. And I can guarantee you on the authority of God's Word whenever we stand there before the Lord in that great day, when we stand before Him and we, for the first time in our life, we begin to put all of the pieces together and we begin to see how that God took this horrible, terrible event in our life and He used it for some good for the first time in our life as we begin to see his wisdom, the fullness of it, and there will not be one of us issue a complaint against God. The word unfair will be on the lips of nobody in that day. And we'll realize, as the Bible already told us, he doth all things well. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Whenever that final day comes and all of God's children are gathered home in that day, and that's why, you know, I've said before, God's going to heal all of his children, but it's just a matter of time. We just got to wait. We, we get in a hurry and we get all bent out of shape, but it's going to be all right. And, and let me tell you, some way, by the grace of God, I hope we can get this message across to our kids because right now, if we're not careful, we're going to raise a generation of young people that are scared to death because of the uncertainty in which they live in in America today. Turn the TV on and see about all of these preppers, you know, and the world's coming to an end and... We better, we better be careful what we feed them by way of all of the negative stuff. We better be careful as to what we give them by way of a hope that's based upon the Word of God, that it's going to be all right. I'll never forget old D.L. Moody and many years ago, the story, 
he's there in the, outside the church, and there's a little girl sitting there, sitting there crying. And he said, "Well, what's wrong, sweetheart?" And she began to talk about, you know, she had seen the guys back then. You know, they thought it was a big deal to get out on the corner with a placard that said, "Repent or perish. The world is coming to an end." And this little girl was crying, and she said, "I'm." She said, I, I, I'm just afraid that the world's going to come to an end. And old D.L. Moody, with all of his wisdom and great love, took her in his arms and said to her, Don't worry, sweetheart, we can get along just fine without it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And we can, because he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And in order to, in order to assure his people Israel during that time of great need, that's what God is saying to them. It's all going to end well. It's going to be all right. And I hope today you find encouragement in those truths. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen carefully and I'm through. It's not all going to end well. This has to do with God and His people. And if you're not a child of God, you can be. Amen? I mean, listen, don't blame God. God made every provision. He loved you enough that He condescended from glory. And this is what Christmas is all about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became God. Amen? And dwelt among us. God looked down upon the sons of men and saw that all were all were sinful and saw us in our time of great need and God stepped down from glory and wrapped himself in a robe of flesh and allowed them to nail him to the cross to pay our sin debt. And regardless of how bad things are for you right now, regardless of how bleak the future looks for you, it can all end in glory if you'll put your trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who promised to save you. Would you do that this morning while we stand together? As Tim and the musicians come and we extend this verse of invitation to you, would you come this morning and say, Preacher, preacher, I want the assurance of salvation in my heart. I want to know I'd go to heaven if I died today. And you can know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. You come while we sing. Page 202, 202, Amazing Grace.
so much for your attention this morning and for being here today. And uh, we just uh, we just hope and pray that in some way that that you've been blessed. And again, if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, and you you know I talk to so many people who say, well, preacher, you know. I, I, I just don't think anybody can really know for sure. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you believe the Bible? Amen. All right, if you believe the Bible, you can know for sure because John said, These things have I written, what? That ye may know that you have eternal life. So you can and you should know whether you're saved or not. And uh, if Brother Kenneth and I either one can be of any help to you, please let us know. Well,